Amen. Amen. All right, while we're there, uh, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 14, and of course on Sundays we've been going through a series entitled Wilderness Wanderings, and it is a chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Numbers, and we've spent a little bit more time than than we have on other chapters in chapters uh, 14 and, and 13, because like I've explained before, these are kind of very important chapters in this book because of the fact that this, the events that took place in these chapters changed the biblical narrative, the biblical history, and the history of the children of Israel uh, for uh, all, of, all, all of history, really. Uh, the entire Old Testament was affected because of the decisions made in these chapters. And, of course, we learned in Numbers chapter 13 that the children of Israel, if you remember, the 12 spies were sent in to the land, and they, 10 of them came back with an evil report. They, they had fear. They were full of fear. They lacked faith, and they uh, allowed that fear to spread to the congregation, and they rebelled against God. They chose not to go in to the promised land. And then, of course, we saw that God has now told them that because of that, they are not going to enter in at all and that they will wander in the wilderness for 40 years uh, until that generation dies. And we have been seeing in chapter 14 how the people responded in verses 1 through 4. We saw how Moses and Aaron responded in verses 11 through 20. Uh, Last week, we saw how Joshua and Caleb responded in verses 6 to 10. And this morning, we're going to see how this whole thing ends in this chapter as we look at verses 30 through 45. Tonight, we're going to begin Numbers chapter 15, and I hope you'll join us for that. But I just want you to, to kind of understand what we're looking at. And what we're seeing is that God has brought the children of Israel uh, to the edge of the promised land. The promised land is God's perfect will for them, for their lives. That's what he wanted for them. He's brought them to that edge but they refused to go in. It wasn't that he withheld them from going in. They refused to go in, and they did not make themselves available for God's use. And what we're going to see in this portion of Scripture, verses 30 through 45, is what happens when someone, whether it's a congregation or an individual, when someone makes themselves unavailable for God to use them. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us, and he has certain things that he's already planned for us to do, but God is not going to force himself upon us. We have to make ourselves available, and unfortunately, some people don't. Some people do, some people don't, and what we're going to learn this morning is what happens if God cannot use you. What happens if God wants to use you? God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God even brings you up to the uh, edge of the promised land of his will for your life, and then you refuse, you rebel, and you decide to not go in. What happens then? And I'd like to give you four thoughts this morning regarding what happens when God cannot use you. And we'll begin there in verse number 30. Why you notice, of course, in verse 30, we have God, the Lord, speaking to the children of Israel. And here's what he says. He says, doubtless, ye shall not come into the land. That word doubtless there is just uh, the way we would say it today is without a doubt or no doubt. Without, without a doubt, God is saying, ye shall not come into the land. He's telling the children of Israel. They've rebelled against them. They've, they've uh, rebelled against Moses and Aaron and against God. They've murmured against them. They've complained. They even set up a captain to take them back into Egypt. They've done all these things. And now God says to them, because he brought them to the edge of his perfect will, and they refused to go in because of fear and because of their own uh, hard hearts. God says, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And of course, God is telling them, you're not going to go into the land. You're going to die in the wilderness. And he says, except for, save for Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua would be the only men of that generation that would enter into the promised land. Look at verse 31. He says, but your little ones. And when he says your little ones there, that is a reference to their children. He's saying, but your children, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey. And if you remember from earlier in the chapter, they use their children as an excuse 
to not do what God has called them to do. And they said, if we go into that land, our children are going to be a prey. They're going to die. They're going to, we're all going to be killed. And God is now saying to them, but your little ones, which, he said, which ye said should be a prey, he says them, the them there is referring to the little ones, the children. Notice what he says. He says, them will I bring in. I don't, I don't want you to miss what God is saying here. He says, he says in verse 30, doubtless ye shall not come into the land. He says, but them, your little ones, will I bring in. And look at verse 31. They, they there is referring to the little ones, shall know the land which ye have despised. He said, I brought you to this land. I gave you this land and you despised it. He said, you rejected it. You refused to go in because of your hard heart, because of your murmuring and your complaining, you would not go in. And God says, doubtless, he says, without a doubt, I've made the decision. You're not going to come into the land. Even if you want to, I'm going to keep you out in the wilderness and you're going to die in the wilderness. He says, but your little ones, the ones that you say said would be a prey, he says, them will I bring in and they shall know the land, which ye have despised. And in these two verses, we find the first lesson for this morning when it comes to what happens if God cannot use you. And if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place where you jot some of these things down. And I would like you to jot this down because I think this is something that we are all in danger uh, from time to time of refusing to be available for God. I want you to notice the first lesson we can gather from this passage is this, that if God cannot use you, he will use someone else. If God, and, and here's the idea, you're there in Numbers 14, that's our text for this morning. I'd like you to keep your place there and go with me, if you would, to the book of Esther. If you're in the book of Numbers, you'll go past Deuteronomy, past Joshua, past Judges, past Ruth, past First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. If you find those one, two books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all right? First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. I'd like you to go to Esther, but here's the point that I'd like you to understand. If God brings you to the place where he wants to use you, he brings you to the edge of the promised land, his perfect will for your life, the opportunity that he's giving you, the things that he wants you to do and he wants you to accomplish. If God brings you there and you and I decide that with our hard hearts and our evil hearts, that with our rebellious spirit and with our, our lack of faith and full of fear, we decide that we don't, do not want to go in, do not want to be used, do not want to make ourselves available for God, then here's what you need to understand. And here's the first lesson. If God cannot use you, he will use someone else. He tells the children of Israel, you don't want to go in? All right. You want to use your children as an excuse to not go in? No problem. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, he says, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. And when you fast forward in the biblical narrative, when you fast forward in the biblical history, what you find is just that. When you go through the book of Joshua, and the book of Joshua is my favorite book in the Old Testament. It's the reason we named our firstborn son Joshua. I love the book of Joshua because when you look at the book of Joshua and read the book of Joshua, you read about a man, Joshua, the leader of the children of Israel at that time, after the death of Moses, and this congregation that is following behind him, and they are entering into the land with confidence and faith in God, conquering the land and taking the land. And when you read those great stories of Jericho and all those things, what you're reading about is these little ones, these children, whose parents said, we will not go in. And God responds, well, if I can't use you, I'll use someone else. If I can't use you, I'll use your children, your little ones, which he said should be a prey. The ones they said would be a prey are the ones that went in and conquered the land. Now, how do you go to Esther? Because it might seem odd, but Esther to me is a very interesting parallel to this passage. Because in Esther, we find all the same dynamics that we find the four lessons I'm going to show you from the passage in Numbers 30 through 45 are all basically represented in the book of Esther as well. The book of Esther, the story of Esther, parallels this story in a very interesting way. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of odd. It seems like Numbers and Esther would not be something that would parallel. And there are some differences, and let me just explain that uh, quickly before we look at Esther. There are some differences in the parallel, and there are some comparisons. There are some comparisons and some contrasts. First, we need you, I need you to understand that 
In the passage in Numbers, we are talking about a congregation. It is a group. When we look at Esther, we're talking about an individual. The reason for that is because these things apply on both ends. Both an individual can decide that they are not going to enter into the promised land and allow themselves to be used of God, but also a group and a congregation can decide that they will not allow themselves to be used of God. So though we see, we see that contrast, but it's a, for a reason. Both a congregation, both an assembly, both a nation, both a group of people and an individual can decide to not make themselves available and both will meet the same consequences. In this story, though, I want you to understand that when we're looking at Numbers 14, we're looking at, one, the congregation reaping the results of their decision, of course, the children of Israel, and in the other, we are seeing Esther being warned about what will happen if she does not allow herself to be used by God. So in one instance, we're seeing them after the fact, and in another instance, we're seeing them be warned. But I want you to notice that we'll see some similarities. And of course, ultimately, one does not make themselves available, the congregation, and ultimately, one does make herself available, Queen Esther, and she fulfills God's will for her life. But I'd like you to notice in Esther chapter 4 and verse 13, we have Mordecai who raised Esther, her uncle, and Mordecai and Esther have now become aware. I'll just catch you up to the story if you're not familiar with it. They've become aware of this man named Haman who has conspired a plan, who has set forth a plot to kill the Jews, which Mordecai and Esther are. And Mordecai is now sending a message to Esther, and he's explaining some things to her. And it's interesting to me because the things that he explains to her are the things that God says to the children of Israel. Because God told the children of Israel, if you do not make yourself available to be used, that's all right. That's your decision. God is not a Calvinist. He's not going to make you do anything. He says, but if God says, if I cannot use you, then I'll use someone else. I'll just let you wander in the wilderness and wait till you die. And then your children, who you said would be a prey, I'll use them. If God cannot use you, he tells the children of Israel, Moses tells the children of Israel, then he will use someone else. In Esther chapter 4 and verse 13, we see Mordecai say basically the same thing. Notice what he says to Esther. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. This is what he says to her. He says, Think not within thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. He says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace. Because Mordecai is telling Esther, Esther, you have been positioned to be able to do something about this. You have access to the king, and you can go in and let him know about the, uh, Haman's plan, and you can deliver us from this certain death. But here's what Mordecai says. If thou altogether holdest thy peace, if you decide not to go in, if you decide not to make yourself available to God, if you decide not to go and tell the king, if thou altogether holdest thy peace, what is he saying? He's saying, if you're not willing to be used of God, at this time, notice what he says. Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. I want you to notice that Mordecai says to Esther, Esther, if God cannot use you, then he'll use someone else. If God cannot use you, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Because here's what Mordecai knew. Mordecai knew that it was not God's will that the Jews would be killed at that time, that God still had a use for them, of course, in the Old Testament, and that they, the children of the captivity were still to go back uh, to their uh, land and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. He knew that, it was not that God was not done with them at that point. So Mordecai expresses to Esther that if God cannot use you, then he'll use somebody else. Uh, and we see with the children of Israel, in the book of Numbers that if God cannot use them, then he will use somebody else. And the message for you and the message for me today is this, that if we do not make ourselves available for God to use, then we need to understand this, that God will just use somebody else. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? We'll talk about that in a minute, but I just want you to understand this. You are irreplaceable. The Bible says that when 
when the Bible talks about a congregation, and of course, let's apply it to us today, the Verity Baptist Church, the congregation of this church, the Bible calls a church a body. It uses the illustration of a body to uh, illustrate a church. And literally, it calls every member of the church is like a body part or a body member of a body. And the idea is this, that you are irreplaceable. Look, if, if, if somebody loses a body part, if someone, because of an accident, maybe loses a limb or loses a finger or loses an eye or loses an ear or loses an, uh, a leg, that uh, may be irreplaceable. You, you only have uh, one right hand. You only have one left eye. You only have a certain amount of, of body parts. And the Bible says that God has brought us together. The Bible says that God has tempered the body. The Bible says that God, if you are here and you're part of Verity Baptist Church and you know, and maybe you're visiting and you're a first time guest and we're glad you're here and we'll, we hope and pray that God maybe would bring you here and make you part of our church. But I'm talking about to our church family. If you know that God, that, that this is your church and uh, Verity Baptist Church, you're a member of this church then here's what we believe. We believe that God brought you here. He tempered the body together and he brought you here because we needed you and you needed us. Amen. And you are irreplaceable. Just like my left eye or my right eye or my left hand is irreplaceable, you are irreplaceable. But before you get a little too caught up on yourself, remember this, that just because you and I are irreplaceable does not mean that we are indispensable. Because if I lose a limb, I can never replace that limb, but I can go on. If I lose a body part, I may never be able to replace that body part, but I can continue. It's always interesting to me when people, they get so lifted up with pride when they get backslidden and, and sinful. And, and people, sometimes over the years, we've had individuals leave this church, and they, they kind of have this idea like, well, I'm a, once I quit that church, it's going to fall apart. I'm like, it looks like it's doing all right. <laughs> looks like we're doing fine. I'm going to personally hand deliver some of the flyers when we move into our new building. Look how we're doing now. It turns out, turns out, maybe you are irreplaceable, but you're not indispensable. And you and I need to remember that though God values you, and God loves you, and God cares for you, and God has a plan for you, and God has a purpose for you, and you are irreplaceable in the will of God. You are not indispensable to the will of God. And if God cannot use you, He will simply use somebody else. Amen. Go back to Numbers 14. Please keep your place there in Esther. We're going to come back and forth between Numbers and the book of Esther. Esther chapter Four, go back to Numbers chapter 14. I said number one this morning, if God cannot use you, he will use somebody else. He will use someone else. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Then maybe God can just go ahead and use somebody else. No big deal to me. Well, here's statement number two, and I'd like you to see it here in verse 32. Because in verses uh, 30 and 31, God just got done saying, if I cannot use you, then I will use somebody else. And he says, in fact, if I cannot use you, then I will use them. The little ones that you said would be a prey, I'll use them, and they will conquer the land, and they will know the will of God for their lives. But if I cannot use you, I'll use somebody else. And then you might be thinking, because maybe you are in a rebellious, sinful, backslidden state, and you're just kind of like, well, then what's the big deal? Let God use somebody else. Well, here's what you need to understand. What happens if God cannot use you and uses someone else? Look at verse 32. Here's where God deals with that. He says, but as for you, because he just got done telling them, I'm not going to use you. I'm going to use somebody else. So, well, what about us? God says, I'm glad you asked. Verse 32. But as for you, those who are not willing to be used, he says, your carcasses, a carcass is a dead body. Your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness. 
And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness after the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days. Because remember, the spies went in and searched the land for forty days. And God said, for, I'm going to give you one year for every day. Forty years you're going to wander in the wilderness. Each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years. And ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it. All uh, this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness, they shall be consumed. And notice the words, there they shall die. You say, well, I don't care. If God can't use me, let him use someone else. But here's the thing. But as for you, but as for me, if we make ourselves unavailable to God, you say, what happens? Well, if God cannot use you, not only will he use someone else, but if God cannot use you, then you will waste your life. Because these people, think about it. From this point forward, God said the rest of your life will be a waste. The rest of your life will be spent going in circles in a wilderness waiting for you to die. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live the rest of my life. I'm 37 years old. I don't want to live the rest of my life knowing that God is just waiting for me to die because he really needs to use somebody else. You say, what happens if we do not make ourselves available for God? Well, if God cannot use you, then he will use someone else. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? The big deal with that is this, that if God cannot use you, then you will waste your life. You will wander in a wilderness, walking in circles, doing nothing, accomplishing nothing, being nothing the rest of your life. He says, I'll just have you wander in the wilderness. And look, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, and I'm not... I am trying to tell you the truth. Some of you have spent too many years already walking in the wilderness. Doing nothing, accomplishing nothing, getting nothing done. I don't want to come to the end of my life. I don't want to be uh, in the last days of my life and look back on my life and say, I wish I would have done something. I wish I would have accomplished something. I wish I would have tried something and attempted something and and dreamt something and and had a vision for something and and tried to do something for God. Hey, I want to look back on my life and know that it matters. But if you do not make yourself available, not only will God use someone else, but you, you will waste your life in a wilderness wandering around. Notice what Mordecai says to Esther. Keep your place there in Numbers. Go back to Esther chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Remember, we see the same idea, but with Esther, with an individual. Esther 4 and verse 14, Mordecai says, For if thou... Altogether holdest thy peace, Esther. If you are not willing to be used of God, Esther, at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He says, God can use somebody else, no problem. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. I want you to notice this phrase. He says, and who knoweth, Esther, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So what is Mordecai saying to Esther? Mordecai is saying to Esther, and I don't have time to go through the story of Esther. I preached verse by verse through the book of Esther uh, maybe a couple years ago, and you can check out those sermons if you'd like. But what Mordecai is saying to Esther is, Esther, you've had a very difficult life, but we can see the hand of God on your life. Esther had lost her parents. She was an orphan, raised by Mordecai, her older family member. As a result of being born during the time of the captivity, even though she was raised by this man, Mordecai, who loved her very much, the Bible teaches, and I believe the Bible teaches, and again, I don't have time to go through it. You can study it out on your own, that she was forcibly removed from the custody, that's the word the Bible uses, of Mordecai and brought into the custody of the king. She was then forced to be part of this procedure where the king would choose a fair maiden and The Bible seems to indicate be with a fair maiden every night until he chose one to marry. And Esther was chosen. Not a good situation, but the Bible says that all things can work together for good. And Mordecai is reminding Esther, Esther, 
who knoweth? He says, he, he, he says, who knows whether maybe all these things that happened, maybe the fact that you were born during the captivity, maybe the fact that you lost your parents and therefore came to live with me, and maybe the fact that as a result of living with me, you were near Shushan the palace and you were taken from my custody and given to, to this uh, 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 process of being chosen as the queen. Who knoweth, Esther, whether thou art come to the kingdom, whether all these things happened in your life and brought you to this place and positioned you for this. And what Mordecai is saying to Esther is, if you do not make yourself available to God, all of that will be wasted. If you do not make yourself available to God, then everything, then maybe everything, then maybe everything that God, the road that God has brought you down, maybe all of it will be for naught. So he says to Esther, what God says to the children of Israel, if God cannot use you, no problem. He'll use someone else. But before you start rejoicing, lazy, if God cannot use you, then you will waste your life. Because remember that Christ is your life. And if God cannot use you, then your life. And all the things that God has brought you to do and all the things that God brought you to this point, this place in your life, will be for naught. Let's look at some New Testament passages that, that kind of explain this. Go to Luke chapter 9, if you would. Matthew, Mark, and the book of Luke. Luke chapter 9. In the Gospels you have. Keep your place in Esther and Numbers, but go to the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 9. Luke 9, 24, the Bible says... For whosoever will save his life. The word save there is not talking about spiritual salvation or anything like that. It's not even talking about uh, physical salvation. It's just talking about someone who wants to keep it all for themselves. Pastor, I can't show up for a work day. I've got too many fun things to do. For whosoever will save. Whosoever will be uh, 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 selfish with their life. Whosoever will be selfish with their Time, energy, resources, ability. Whosoever will save his life, want to enjoy his life, not want to waste his life. Notice what the Bible says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You know, the greatest way to waste your life is to spend it on yourself. Because they who focus only on themselves in the end only have themselves. And, and Jesus here in a moment of insight, trying to help his follower says, look, understand this. Whosoever will save his life. The person that says, no, 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 I can't, I can't do anything else. I can't, I, can't, I can't invest in anything else. I can't do it because i got to focus on myself. It's my happiness and all the things that I need to do. He says, that's a great way to waste your life. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose, whosoever will lose. You say, look at all those losers. Spending 12 hours Thursday, Friday, they go soul winning and a workday Saturday. Amen. Man, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Amen. And then here's what he says, verse 25. For what is a man advantage? If he gain the whole world and lose himself. Or be, and I want you to notice this phrase, or be cast away. Now, this verse here might sound a little familiar to you because there's two versions of the same verse. And they're applied in different applications. The one that you probably are aware of is in Mark 8, 36 and 37. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. But that one has to do with salvation. It says, For what shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That is applied to salvation. He says, What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and he goes to hell? He loses his own soul. I want you to notice that in Luke, this is now the same principle. Jesus is not applying it to an unsaved man, but a saved man. He says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, shall the same shall save it. For uh, his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Verse 25, for what is the man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose? Notice, he doesn't say soul, he just says himself. His life, his time, his resources. He says, or be cast away. That word cast away means to throw away, to throw in the trash. And here, Jesus is saying, if you endeavor to save your life, 
And it's all got to be about me. And I can't give any time to anything else. I got to focus on myself. God says, I'll end up throwing you away. You say, I don't like that. Well, I didn't say it. Jesus did. Some of you need to stop, stop shooting the messenger and start getting mad at the word of God. He said, I'll throw you away. I'll cast you away. He said, if I can't use you, here's what he's saying. If I can't use you, then I have no need for you. I don't, I don't like you saying that. Well, I'm sorry, your little public school education taught you. Now, we'll just pass you along even if you don't know how to read. But God says, no, you got to bring some value to the table. Amen. He said, if I don't have use for you, then I'll throw you away. You said, I don't like you saying that. I'm not saying it. God is. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. I often tell people, at Verity Baptist Church, we give you in one 60-minute sermon what your parents failed to teach you in the 20 years you live with them or whatever. You don't get a gold star for being lazy. I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Hey, call upon Jesus in faith and we'll see you in heaven. But you want to be used of God? Get involved. Get to work. Or God says this, what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and he lose himself? Or be cast away, be thrown away. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, I therefore run. This is not about salvation. This is about his work ethic, and his involvement in the things of God. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Paul is using these analogies of, of, of exercise and of sports. And he says, when I run, I run to win. When I fight, I don't beat the air. He said, if I'm going to get in a ring, I want to hit somebody. Amen. He said, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy mind. And this is the type of guy that Paul was. He was intense. I therefore so run, not as uncertain. He says, look, when I run, he's like, I'm not just out there run, just kind of running. Paul says, when I, when, when, when I run, it's like ready, set, go. That's what he's saying. Not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that be, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm going to get in there and hit somebody. That's what Paul says. He was intense. By the way, you like sports analogies? We'll see you. We're having two-a-days. Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday night. You like your little sports football analogies? Two-a-days. Practice. We'll see you tonight. Look at verse 27. He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. He said, I'm disciplined with my body. I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be, don't miss it, Cast away. Is he saying lose my salvation? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying lose my salvation, but here's what he's saying. He's saying I can get thrown away. I can get cast away where God no longer uses me and my life is wasted. It might as well just been be cast away, be throw away. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And here's the application. God wants to use us. He has a purpose and a plan for you. He has a purpose and a plan for every person here. But if we do not make ourselves available to his use, we might miss the entire purpose for our lives and waste our lives. Think about that. I don't know what God's purpose for your life is, but I know this. God has a purpose for your life. I can tell you, I know the purpose for my life. I know the purpose for my life and for my wife is to be the pastor and the pastor's wife of Verity Baptist Church. And could you imagine... Could you imagine if we refused to go into this promised land that God has for us? And, may, you know, I just did something else. I mean, I'd hate to get to heaven and be like, uh, yeah, I'm glad that you're uh, an accountant. And I'm not bashing accountants. Accountants are great. I'm just saying. I'm glad that you were whatever. And, but you were supposed to do this. This is what I had for you. This is what I planned for you. But you were too scared. You were too fearful. You lacked faith. 
Paul says, I don't want to get cast away, so I'm going to be intense. When I run, I don't run uncertainly. When I fight, I don't beat the air. He said, I discipline myself because I don't want to be a throwaway. I don't want to waste my life. And look, you ought to be afraid to waste your life. We ought to think every day of the judgment seat of Christ, and I want to get to the end of my life like Paul and be able to say, I am now ready to be offered. Because to the best of my ability, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. Go back to Numbers chapter 14. We're talking about what happens if God cannot use you. I said, number one, if God cannot use you, he will use someone else. I said, number two, if God cannot use you, you will waste your life. Here's number three. Look at verse 36, Numbers 14, 36. And the men, remember there was 12 spies? 12 spies came to, went to spy on Cain, and 10 were bad, 2 were good. The men here is referring to the 10 spies. Notice what it says. And the men which Moses sent to search the land. These are the spies. But it's only the 10, not save Caleb and uh, Joshua. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Doesn't it seem like God really takes this personally? Like you are slandering me. Verse 37. Even those men, what men? The ten spies. Because remember, God just got done telling the congregation, you're all going to die. You're all going to die by wasting your life. You're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years, and you're going to waste your life. I'm going to wait till your carcasses fall on this earth, and then I'm going to use somebody else. But then God focuses in on the 10, the 10 spies that came back and said, no, the walls, there's, the, the cities are walled, and there's giants, and we were grasshoppers in their side, and blah, blah, blah. He says, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, verse 37, notice what it says, died by the plague before the Lord. God said, I'm going to kill all of you in the wilderness eventually, but then he kills these ten guys immediately. Even those men that did bring up an evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. Verse 38, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, live still. I mean, think about that. You got 12 guys lined up. God is rebuking these people and telling them, I'm so sick and tired of you. You, don't, you want to refuse and you want to rebel. That's fine. You can die in this wilderness. I'll use someone else. You can waste your life. And then God says, and by the way, I'm going to kill these 10 guys. And then they just fall dead from the plague. And Caleb and Joshua are just like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Praise the Lord. Here's statement number three for you. If God cannot use you, he'll use someone else. If God cannot use you, you'll waste your life. Here's statement number three. Some of you aren't going to like it because it's not politically correct, but I don't care. If God cannot use you, he might get rid of you. I mean, he got rid of these guys. Said, oh, you don't want me to use you? Oh, no, no problem. Died by the plague before the Lord. Notice what Mordecai says to Esther. Go back to Esther chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Esther 4, 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Remember, Haman's coming for the Jews. And Mordecai is reminding Esther, Don't think that just because you live in the palace that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace, if you're not willing to be used of God at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to Jews from another place. But, here's what Mordecai says, but thou, Esther, and thy father's house shall be destroyed. What is he telling Esther? If God cannot use you, He'll use someone else. If God cannot use you, you will waste your life. And if God cannot use you, Esther, if God cannot use you, ten spies, he might just get rid of you. Because I don't know if you understand this, but God doesn't care about your job. God doesn't care about the house you live in, the neighborhood you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear. God doesn't care about any of that. God cares about his purpose and his plan for your life. 
Now, if you can accomplish the purpose and plan that he has for you while living in the house you want to live in, driving the car you want to drive in, wearing the clothes you want to wear, and taking as much vacation as you want to take, if God can fulfill his plan and purpose while you do those things, God's fine with that. He wants to prosper you. But the moment that you can't do this, he doesn't care about that. It's this idea, if the Lord delight in us, and it's always interesting to me when people are like, well, I'm so busy building an empire, I can't serve God. I think to myself, that empire is going to crumble. Because if God cannot use you, he might just get rid of you. Well, that's Old Testament, that's when God was angry. God's still angry. Go to New Testament, Matthew 5. Let Let me show you some New Testament passages that prove this. Matthew 5. These are the things your public school teacher in Sesame Street, PBS, your mom, they didn't tell you. I'm telling you. Matthew 5.13. Or I'm not telling you. Jesus is telling you. How about that? Matthew 5.13. Ye are the salt of the earth. That's your plan. That's your purpose. But if the salt have lost his savor, the word savor means taste. If you speak Spanish, the Spanish word for taste is sabor. Here's what he's saying. If salt doesn't taste like anything, what's the point of salt? I love salt. I put salt and pepper on everything. I'm, I just, like, I could be, I could have been an Old Testament Levite. I'm telling you, I could have ate manna all day long, and they're just putting salt on everything. They're, like, cooking meat, salt. And, and Jesus, Jesus, you know, I must be a man after his own heart because all the analogies he uses, I'm all for them. You know, give us this day our daily bread and, and give us salt. I love it. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have also savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Notice, it is henceforth. Don't miss it. This is what your mom, this is why you're such a stinking wimp. But your mom and dad failed to tell you. It is thenceforth good for nothing. You know that there are some people that are good for nothing? I don't think you should say that. It's hurting my feelings. Then start being good for something. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is good for nothing. Understand this. God looks down on earth from heaven, and he looks at some Christians, and he says, that guy, good for nothing. It is henceforth. I didn't say I said that. I mean, I say that, but I would never say that to you. (laughs) It is henceforth good for nothing. Don't miss it. But to be cast out. Remember Castaway, Luke 9.25? Remember Castaway, 1 Corinthians 9.27? It is good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. God says, if I have no use for you, I might just get rid of you. Well, that's one passage. Jesus was having a bad day. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Like the most famous sermon of Jesus. Go to John 15. Let's look at another one. John 15, look at verse 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 15, verse 5. Look, I'm not up here like the mafia telling you, we're going to make you go away. But I'm telling you, God might make you sleep with the fishes. John 15, 5. Notice what Jesus said. John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. That's God's will. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is, don't miss it, cast forth. Remember castaway? Luke 9, 25. Remember castaway? 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Remember cast out? Matthew 5, 13. He is cast forth as a branch. He is thrown away, and it withereth, and men gather them and cast them into the fire. That is not talking about losing your salvation. People like to act like this is talking about losing your salvation. He's just saying this. What do you do with a withered branch? It's good for nothing. You just use it for kindling. You cast it into the fire, and they are burned. He's saying, look, if I can't use you, I might just get rid of you if I don't have a need for you. I live in the ghetto. My house is falling apart. But if I lived in a nice house, if I drove a nice car, if I felt comfortable walking around in my neighborhood at night, I'd make sure I was doing everything God wanted me to do so he wouldn't take that away from me. Because God says, 
I got one use for you. I can, you can have the blessing. You can have it all if you do what I want you to do. But the moment you lose your savor, you're good for nothing. I just cast you away. I throw you away. I didn't say you lose your salvation. But he said, I just get rid of you because you're not useful. I don't like this. This is not helping my self-esteem. Some of you would be helped with your self-esteem if you humbled yourself. And realize that you are irreplaceable, but you are not indispensable. Look, please understand this. You, you are a human being, and you are valuable in the sense that you are a human, and you are, were made in the image of God, and all of that. There is value to that. But with all that said, let me just let you in on a little secret. You are not that special. I am not that special. It is by the grace of God that we can be used of God. It is a privilege to be used by God. It is a privilege to have God's anointing on our lives. You're not special. I'm not special. It is a privilege to be used of God, and God doesn't have to use any of us. So go ahead and waste your life. God may get rid of you. Let me give you another passage. Go to Luke 13. Luke 13. You say, why are you preaching like this? Because I spent 12 hours of the workday and I didn't have a chance to write a nice sermon. <laughs> so you get this. This is what happens when I don't study. Luke 13, look at verse 6. Luke 13, verse 6. Here's another example. Same thing. Jesus says this over and over again. Look at it. Luke 13, 6. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit of the fig tree. You know that most people only make it in church about three years before they start fading out? Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit of this fig tree and find none. Notice what he says, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? You say, what does that word cumber mean? It means to hinder, to obstruct, to burden, to take up resources, to take up nutrition. Here's what he's saying. In this parable, he's saying, this tree is planted here. And while it's planted here, it's taking up space, it's taking up resources, it's taking up nutrition, but it's not producing anything. So because it's not useful, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to cut it down. I'm going to remove it. And I'm going to put a tree in its place that will actually produce something. Because it's cumbering the ground. Because it's taking up needed resources. And let me tell you something. If you're not going to be helpful, at least don't be a burden. You know what I mean? I, sometimes I want to tell people, like, look, if you're not going to do anything, at least, at least just sit there and don't cause problems. Yeah. If you're not going to be a resourceful and a resource, at least don't use up the resources. Because he says, it cumbereth the ground. Look at verse 8. And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. Look, God doesn't just want to get rid of you. He wants you to produce. Amen. But notice, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So just, you, need to, you and I need to understand this, that if God cannot use you, he might get rid of you. You say, Pastor Jimenez, you know, you have all these death threats, you have all these people coming after you. How do you, how do you feel safe? You know, here's how I feel safe. I try to make myself as useful to God as possible. Yeah. And I'm just like, if I'm producing, then he won't get rid of me. Then he'll invest in me. Then he'll help me and protect me and, 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 and be with me. Go back to Numbers chapter 14. We're talking about what happens when God can't use you. When God cannot use you. If God cannot use you, we said number one, he will use someone else. If God cannot use you, we said number two, you will waste your life. I said number three, if God cannot use you, he might get rid of you. The, stand, the ten spies, they, they, they learned that the hard way. Let me give you the fourth one and we'll finish up. Look at verse 39. 
And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel. And the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised. For we have sinned. I want you to notice what's happening here. God said, God brings them to promise, and he says, there it is, the promised land. I'm with you. I'll protect you. I'll fight on your behalf. Go. And they said, no. They rebelled, and they refused, and they said, no. They had an evil heart and a hard heart, and they said, we will not go in. We will go back to Egypt. We'll make ourselves a captain. And they slandered God, and they murmured against Moses, and they had a bad attitude. And then God comes down and says, fine, I'm done with you. I'll use someone else. You can waste away in the wilderness. I'm going to get rid of some of you right now. And now they realize something. You know what they realize? Here's what they realize. That if God cannot use you, you might miss your opportunity. They realized the moment it was too late that it was too late. And now they're trying to backtrack. Look at verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning. It's just one day too late. They rose up early in the morning and got them into the top of the mountain saying, now they're saying, now they sound like Caleb. Lo, we be here. They're like, we're already here and, we, we, and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised. For we have sinned. You say, well, that sounds good. Yeah, but the problem is it was too late. Look at verse 41. And Moses said, wherefore? He said, for what reason? Why are you going to go up there? They, they said, we will go up. Lo, we be here, and we will go up unto the place where the Lord had promised. We'll go into the promised land. And Moses is now saying, why? For what reason? Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? You can tell Moses is getting really fed up with them. He's like, you people just cannot listen. God tells you to go, and you won't go. Then he says, fine, don't go. And now you're like, we're going to go. And he says, wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? Verse 41 but it shall not prosper. Remember, Caleb said the only reason we can prosper is if the Lord delight in us. He will give us the land. Now they said, well, let's go take the land because we're missing our opportunity. And Moses says, no, no, it shall not prosper. Verse 42, he says, go not up. No, don't miss it. For the Lord is not among you. Remember the God factor? The Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. They hadn't missed their opportunity. Let me tell you something. If God cannot use you, not only will he use someone else, not only will you waste your life, not only might he get rid of you, but if God cannot use you, you might miss your opportunity. And once it's gone, it's gone. He already told them in verse 25. Look at Numbers 14:25. Tomorrow turn ye and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. He said, it's done. You're done. And look, please understand this, that God is the God of the second chance and the third chance, but he's not necessarily the God of the 14th and 15th chance. And though God can always try to use you in some capacity, there are some opportunities that once they're gone, they're gone. Do you understand that? You only get to raise your children once. And you can sit there and waste away those years and have your children exposed to all sorts of worldly people and bad people and take them here and take them there and whatever. Go ahead. But once they're grown and once it's done, you can have all the regrets and say, oh, I wish I could go back. You can't go back. There are some things that once they are done, they are done. There are some opportunities that once that door closes, it closes, and it's not opening back up. And if God cannot use you, and you do not make yourself available, you might miss your opportunity. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I am trying to warn some of you that are wasting your opportunities right now. Look at verse 43. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword. No, no, you said we could win. No, ye shall fall by the sword because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. Things have changed. 
You understand that God is not necessarily with you? Have you ever stopped to consider? This is a real question. I really, I really wish you would take the time to think about this. Don't answer out loud, please. But have you ever stopped to consider and ask yourself, I wonder if the Lord is with me right now. Am I pleasing him? Is he delighting in me? Because these people miss their opportunity. And if God cannot miss, if God cannot use you, then you'll miss your opportunity. Go to Esther chapter 4, look at verse 14. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Esther 4, 14. Remember Mordecai, what he says to Esther? For if thou altogether holdest thy peace, if you're not willing to be used of God, Esther, at this time, then shall their, their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. God will use someone else. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. You might, God might get rid of you, though. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom? Don't miss it. For such a time as this. Esther, Mordecai says, Esther, you're going to miss your opportunity. God brought you here for this moment in time. This is your time. Don't waste your opportunity. Don't waste it. Go back to Numbers chapter 14. Last week I was preaching in Texas, so I didn't get a chance to be part of the work days. This week I was able to be part of the work days. And um, I had a good time working with these guys. We've got some good guys in our church. And um, at the end of one of the days, I was, Brother Matt Barella was there, and um, I was talking to him, and I was just thanking him. He'd been there all day, and not just him. Lots of these guys been there all day. I mean, literally 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. And, and I was just thanking him for, for being there and giving us a day, and, of course, I took time off of work and all that. And, and I don't remember exactly what he said. I should have asked him, but he said something along these lines. He says, he says, I want to be here to make these memories. And, and, and what he was saying was this, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want to miss this opportunity. Because, you know, guys, guys, they, they honestly, it's worth coming to these work days just to hear some of these guys. I mean, it's worth just, just hearing, you know, just Brother Joel and Brother Adam and Brother Vladi just going back and forth. I'm not going to tell you what they say, but it's, it's entertaining. Sometimes I think, maybe we should just eat our lunch in silence, guys. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's good. You know, it, I, there's an opportunity these, for these men to bond. Amen. And, you know, guys, they, they like war stories. And here's the thing. One day, one day, we're going to be in that building. There's going to be beautiful Corinthian pillars in the front. There's going to be uh, uh, this beautiful auditorium. And, I mean, I, I think we have, like, two, 260 people in church this morning. One day, we're going to have 500 people in church. And these guys are going to be telling stories about, remember when, remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? Remember on that work day? Remember, remember how this looked like? And some of you guys are going to be like, no, I don't remember. Don't miss the opportunity. Get involved. Especially you men, you know, get to know these guys and, and, and just in, in, enjoy them. Yeah, these guys, you know, one of these days, I don't remember which day we were there, Brother Graham was in one of the rooms, I think it was in there with Brother Shaw. I mean, just all suited up and just, you know, working away. And he, he comes out and he takes his mask off. He's just completely just drenched in, in sweat. And, and I said, how you doing? And he said, this guarantees we're going to heaven, right? And I'm like, yes, it does. And whatever religion is right, you are getting into heaven. And, it, and, and these are the memories you don't want to miss out on. So many guys, they just, they're, they're so into, and ladies, so into themselves, they just miss the opportunities. Miss the opportunities. And here's the thing about them, opportunities. Once they're gone, they're gone. So if God cannot use you, he'll use someone else. If God cannot use you, you may waste your life. If God cannot use you, Look, I'm not going to lie to you. He might get rid of you. If God cannot use you, you are the one that will miss the opportunities that God has given you. So don't miss them. Look at the last two verses. We'll finish up. Numbers 14, 44. But they 
presumed. The word presume means to suppose that something was the case when it wasn't. This idea of arrogance. They're going to do something even though they're not sure. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Moses said, I'm not getting involved with this. You guys want to go up there? You go up there. I'm staying here and the ark is staying here because the Lord is not with you. Look at verse 45. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill and smote them and discomfited them. That word means to easily embarrass them, to beat them, even unto Hormah. You say, what happened? What happened was that God wanted to use them, but they did not make themselves available for his use. And they missed the opportunity. And once it was gone, it was gone. And I hope you won't miss your opportunity, whatever they are. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for these stories. Thank you for these passages of Scripture, how applicable they are to us today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to make ourselves available for God. Because if he cannot use us, it won't be good for us. I pray that we'd be a church that would make itself available. A church that would make itself available to serve God, and work for God, and accomplish great things for God. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us uh, in a final song. Just want to remind you, of course, uh, that we've got all sorts of clipboards and sign-up sheets in the foyer. Please make sure